Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, your mercies are forever, Lord. I praise you tonight. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Uh, Sister Maddie, I need the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 19. I did not give her those notes. Give her a few minutes to get that on the screen, but God is good, amen? I did before we, before we get started, and I did want to mention a few things that we do have coming up on the calendar, and uh, there are calendars in the back. You can take those home um, if, you need, if you need to, hang them on your fridge. Also, if you would like to have um, the church's Google calendar synced to your calendar, um, please ask either me or Sister Crystal. We can send you the link for that to happen so she can stay up to date with the events and the upcoming uh, things we have going on. But I do want to mention, again, uh, this, this month we do have the Sunday School Rally. Brother Pete did mention that. Um, that is going to be on the 28th. Uh, the rally is at 1 o'clock. We do have teachers training that morning, I believe at 10 a.m. Um, coming up in February, uh, the 17th and 18th, I wanted to just give all, um, all the couples... Uh, just a, a good heads up for this, but the 17th and 18th, we are going to be having a kind of a, a marriage seminar, a couples weekend, if you will. Um, that's going to be Friday night. I'm here at the church at 6.30. Uh, we'll start, start it out with a seminar. There's going to be food and fellowship to follow that Friday night. And then also that next day, the 18th, which is a Saturday, uh, we're going to get started at 10 a.m. We're actually going to have three sessions um, that Saturday, along with a brunch, uh, brother and sister Simons are going to be here with us for that. So please uh, make arrangements, if you would, for uh, babysitting and that sort of thing. If you are um, of age here and you are not married, it would be very kind of you to maybe offer to babysit. That would be great because there's a lot of little kids here. Um, but we're looking forward to um, that couple's weekend, February 17th and 18th. Um, then also coming up. In March, we do have Brother Cornwell, who's going to be here, and several of his uh, guys are going to be with him. They're going to be here March 16th, 17th, and 18th, which is a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So we'll have church Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and then we're going to have a seminar that Saturday, um, kind of a, a Bible study, um, soul-winning seminar. And if you ever heard Brother Cornwell preach, that's what he preaches, so we're, I talked to him today on the phone, and he told me, he's like, I've been in prayer about this, and I feel like I got a word for your church. So I'm just excited to have him here. Um, so we'll have a lot of church that week. And then also, coming up in April, um, we are going to have Brother Fogarty with us. Um, he was actually the, the day speaker at uh, family camp. Was it last year or the year before? It was either last year or the year before. Um, he was, he's from Georgia, just a great uh, Bible teacher. Um, we're going to have him here that Wednesday night, the 12th. We're going to have church Thursday night. We're going to have church Friday night. Uh, we're going to have a little seminar Saturday, and also he's going to be with, here, with us here Sunday. So um, we're going to have some revival services the next few months, if everybody's okay with that. Okay, I didn't ask you, but I, I told you, so <laughs> I hope you're okay with it. But we look forward to that. Um, uh, we're going to have a few of these guys are completely, Brother Cornwell is going to be completely different than Brother Fogarty, and uh, we're just excited for what God's doing. Amen? And then come summer, come June, July, there's all sorts of camps and 
stuff going on. So please just be attentive to the church calendar and try be as a, at many as as at as many things as you can be. Okay, mark your calendars when it comes to church camp. Uh, please just take your vacation, um, be a part of church camp. It is such a blessing. Um, to you, it'll be a blessing to your children, to your family, and uh, we just want everybody at as many of, the, of these things as we possibly can be. Amen? I got Bible for that. The Bible says that to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, right? As the manner of some, I can't quote it all the way, but then it says, as even, the, even as we approach the Lord, we ought to do it more, okay? And we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord, so I think, and we read of these three-week-long revivals back in the 70s. And I'm thinking, well, we're closer to the coming of the Lord now than then. So I'm not going to feel bad about asking us to come to church, you know, four nights in one week when they used to do it. There was, you know, six-week revivals. I remember when I first got into the church, that was only 20 years ago, Brother Chuppie had a, an evangelist there, and it was like church for like, I don't know, eight or nine days in a row. I'm like, these people are crazy. Right? But I still remember it. I still remember the guy that was there. It was life-changing. So, amen? Amen. God is good. Let's turn to, you can remain seated tonight. We're going to read some scripture. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read... Um, couple different stories, starting in verse 13. Matthew 19, verse, th- I'm sorry, Sister Maddie, I didn't give you a heads up. Matthew 19 and 13, it says, Then there were brought unto him little children, that he should not put his hands on them, and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of of heaven. So we have this first little um, story here in a couple verses. Um, there were some parents that brought some children to Jesus, and uh, the disciples rebuked the parents. They say, listen, you know, this rabbi is busy. He doesn't have time for these children, is in, in essence what they, what they said. And Jesus rebuked the disciples, and uh, he laid his hands on those children. And he said in verse 16, he says, Our, uh, let's see here. Verse 14 says, And forbid them not to come, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And basically he says, how these little children approach me is how we, everybody needs to approach me. And he was talking about children approaching them in humbleness. Children are very humble. They, they, come, they came before Jesus without any pride. Okay? So now we're going to read the the next few verses. Um, Verse 15, And he laid his hands on them, and he departed thence. Verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do, that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He he saith unto him, Which Jesus said shall do not. No, uh, shall do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. 
What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay? So we have the first story of the children. Jesus was making the point, hey, you need to approach me with humbleness as the little children. We have the second story here about um, this, this, this rich young ruler who came, and he, he asked the question to Jesus. He says, um, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And, you know, Jesus listed off some things. He's like, listen, I've done all those things from my youth. And Jesus is like, well, if you're going to be perfect then, <laughs> I want you just to sell everything, sell all your possessions and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So we look at this scripture and you got to ask yourself, what, what great thing was this rich, was this man intending to do? Brother Daniel, can I get just a little more monitor? My ears are plugged. Thank you. But what, what great thing was this young, young man intending to do? And I think he came to Jesus with the wrong, and he wanted to do something great for God. But I believe he wanted to do something great that would have been known. Okay, Because he certainly didn't want to do something that would cost him anything. He came to Jesus asking what great thing he could do that wouldn't cost him anything. What good thing can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Okay? So that's the second story. We, we continue reading on in this chapter. And verse 23 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus, behold beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then in verse 27, Peter ans- uh, it says, Then answered Peter and said unto them, Behold, we have forsaken all. Peter's like, Jesus, we've given up everything. He said, And, and we followed thee. He says, What shall we have therefore? So we have these first two stories about humbleness, about somebody coming before God, maybe with prideful intentions. And then Peter asks this question, what do we get? He said, we've forsaken all. I laid my nets on the seashore. I gave up everything, and I followed you. As with the rest of the disciples, what, what do we get out of this? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. And in verse 30, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay, so Jesus is, in, in, in all these stories, he's sort of teaching the same lesson. And he's really teaching about servanthood. He's teaching about humbleness. Okay? And he says, those that are first shall be last, and those that are last shall be first. Okay? And this, is, this concept is very contrary to our culture and how we were raised, and really what's ingrained in us, okay? But this is what he was trying to teach the disciples. We have them rebuke these little children for humbly coming to Jesus, okay? We have this rich young ruler who said, what great thing can I do, okay? And then we have Peter asking, um, you know, what do we get, okay? And then Jesus is making the point. He says, listen, guys, those that are first shall be last, and those that are last shall be first. And this all segues into uh, the next chapter, Matthew chapter 20. So we're going to continue reading in Matthew 20, in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder. That's, it's like a, a landowner which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. A penny a day was just basically a day's worth of wages. Okay? Um, he sent them into the vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever... Whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And he went, he went out about the sixth hour, sixth and the ninth, and he did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle. And he saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Then say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye likewise into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the labors and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny." And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee." Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, 
but few chosen. So we have this continuous conversation, and Jesus is really teaching the same thing. Jesus' principle is that there is no seniority or entitlement in the kingdom of God. Okay, he said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So we read this, and it's a, it's a parable that gives us a warning against having a wrong spirit, a, a hireling spirit, if you will. Um, a hireling is one who is, uh, whose motive and interest in serving other are holy for gain or wages, okay? So a, a, liary, a hireling has wrong motives, um, wrong attitudes, and wrong expectations in serving the master. And that's exactly what these guys did. They had the wrong idea. They, they, they were paid what they agreed to be paid. And then at the end of the day, they were worried about what the others were being paid. And so as we go through this lesson, and this is, um, there's a few things I want to touch on, but this is really a concept that we've got to have down in our heart because this is a core principle of the kingdom. And as we read through this story, um, we understand and that there's, there's 12 hours um, 12 working hours in the Jewish day. It was basically from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. And the daytime represented the time that was available to them to work. Okay, so we read verses like John 9 and 4. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So that is the time that they had to work, were a 12, it was a 12-hour span, spanning from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the master of this vineyard, he, he goes into the marketplace four different times to hire laborers to work in his vineyard. Okay? He goes there early in the morning, right about 6 a.m., looking for laborers. He goes about the third hour of the day, which is about 9 a.m., Okay? He goes there the ninth hour of the day, which is about 12 noon. And then he goes there the 11th hour, which is one hour before the end of the day. Right? That's 5 p.m. And we, we say all the time that it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Right? That's, that's what time it is for us to go home. It was 6 p.m. for them. So there was only one hour left to work when the master calls the last labors that they have been idle all day. Um, But he promises them that they will receive what is right for their wages. And the amount owed to each and every labor is left to the master to decide. So when the evening has come, and those that were hired first were actually paid last. Okay? And to add insult to injury, if you will, they received this very same wage as those that only worked one hour. And uh, they began to complain about it. They weren't happy about it. And uh, this whole concept, I mean, we, in the work world, okay, 
seniority does matter. Okay? There is a totem pole in the work world. Okay? It's, it's very existent. And uh, even with the guys that I have, anytime we get a new van, the guy who's been with us the longest gets the new van. <laughs> and that's just the way it works. And if I, if I didn't do that, um, there would be some complaining going on. Okay? But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God doesn't operate under those economics. And this parable and these stories that Jesus is telling, it's, it's not just about money, but it's really about being a servant. And it's not even primarily about being, re, being rewarded, but it's about motives and attitudes towards the master and also toward their fellow workers. This was the point, these were the points that Jesus was making. What are our motives and what is our attitude as we labor? And this is, these are things that we have to ask ourselves as we labor in the kingdom. Because God's economics are not the world's economics. And sometimes we come in on a Wednesday night, okay, a little tired, and you just spent all day in the world's economics at work. And if we're not careful, that, those attitudes can infiltrate us here at the church. And the disciples, it seems like Jesus was making point after point, and it didn't seem like they were really getting it. And uh, it's interesting because as you read on through Matthew chapter 20, one of the very next things we read of is the mother of James and John. <laughs> she goes to Jesus, and it seems like she did it respectfully. But she asked for some very lofty positions for her two sons in the kingdom of God. You know, she's like, can, can, if you don't mind, Jesus just got done teaching all this. And then, you know, old mama bear comes up and asks about her children, if they could, you know, basically stand on the throne with Jesus. And it seems like they just weren't completely getting it. And, and Jesus' response to that was, it says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know not, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles, this is in verse 25 of Matthew 20, says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. Said, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So again, Jesus is making the same point. And uh, I was, as I was studying this a little bit, um, there's a lot of different directions I could go, but I did want to just pause for a moment and and just say something if I could. Um, with this, you know, I, 
I read this about James and John's mom, okay? And she was, she, it seemed like she had good intentions in mind for her children. But um, I will say this to, if I could, to all the parents. Um, in the kingdom of God and, and with raising children, sometimes we just got to let our children work some things out themselves, okay? And, and I, I'm a parent here, and I have young kids. I have one teenager and another one that's going to be a teenager soon. And uh, as parents, we really do want the best for our kids. I believe every parent here wants the best for your kids. Um, but sometimes you just got to let them be kids, and uh, let them go through life's battles, okay? And sometimes, as these hirelings were complaining, life's just not fair, okay? It's quiet in here. And sometimes it's okay. I say this carefully. It's okay for your children to be mistreated, Okay? We don't have to stick up for them all the time. As a matter of fact, if your child is, is mistreated, and it will happen, it would be best that you don't hardly say anything to them. And I'm talking about, there's, you know, there's boundaries here. It would be best to say, you know, that, that's unfortunate, but you know, you're just going to have to move on because something like this is probably going to happen again. Okay? But to get involved and do stick up for your children, um, you're going to save yourself a lot of headache down the road if you, if you kind of refrain from doing that. And I'm talking like I'm an expert parent. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not an expert parent. Okay? I'm not. And I, I don't pretend to be. And I, I've made mistakes. It's hard for me to do this when I'm speaking to my peers. Okay? But it's the truth anyways. Because life's just not fair sometimes. And to teach your kids to go through things that are unfair and do it with a good attitude will be the best thing you ever do for your kids. And I, I was reminded, I'll tell a little story. When I was growing up, um, I grew up in a very, very competitive environment in the sports world. And there was one particular, this is right before we got into church. I, uh, we had basically every hockey year started out with two weeks of tryouts. So they'd have two different age groups together, and you would, you would just skate as, you would play as hard, skate as hard, do your very best for tryouts every year because you wanted to be on the A-team, okay? You were trying out for the A-team. If you didn't make the A-team, you went to the B-team. And this was my peewee year of hockey, so I was like 13. And I should have made, I didn't even realize it at the time, because my parents never talked to me about it, but I really should have made the A-team that year. And actually, I found out later that there was a lot of people upset that I didn't make the A-team that year. There was actually parents calling my parents about it, making a big deal about it, mad at coaches, and uh, 
I didn't really know anything about it until later on. Because my parents never said a word to me. They never brought it up. They never told me that I was treated unfairly. I didn't even really know I was. And I, you know, we just moved on. They never said nothing to the coaches. And the, the truth of it is, is there was a kid who made the team before me because his parents were rich farmers. That's just how it works in small towns. That's exactly what happened, and everybody knew it, except me. I didn't know it. You want to know why? Because my parents didn't get involved. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for not giving ear to that. But it taught me a lesson. Like, you can make big deals with your kids if you get involved. All right? Amen? Like, they'll, they'll figure it out. And because uh, truly, this is in the kingdom of God, there's going to be times where it doesn't seem fair. God's no respecter of persons. These 11th hour workers were paid the exact amount to those who just worked a 12-hour day in the heat of the day. And we kind of live in a world where it seems that everything has to be perceived as fair. Um, you know, we, when I was growing up, like you got a trophy if you won. You didn't get a trophy for showing up. And I'm all about making kids feel good and that sort of thing. I'm not, but that's kind of the, the culture of the world. And, uh, and the truth of it is, is life isn't fair. Like some days you you know, your kids are going to apply for a job and they're not going to get it. Um, and maybe they should have. But if you teach them to move on past those things, it will be in your favor. All right, I'm done parenting. Can I, can I just get an amen so I can feel a little better? All right, thank you. <laughs> so, in a revival church, um, in the kingdom of God, okay, there is no seniority. There is no totem pole that we climb in the kingdom of God. So when a church begins to have revival, things may change a little bit. Like, there may be somebody who sits in your seat on Sunday. You guys okay with that? I'm okay with that. Okay? But there may come somebody who comes into this church, and you want to know what? They're a, they're a better, you know, they're better at something than you are, and they may be asked to maybe take the position that you once held. Are you okay with that? Brother Matthew? Where's Brother Matthew? He's a good drummer. Brother Matthew's a really good drummer. We don't compliment him enough, but he practices. My wife sends him songs, and he does a really good job. And he's in that drum cage a lot. And he sacrifices a lot of time. But you want to know what? There, there could be somebody coming to this church that's a good drummer. I bet Matthew would be more than happy to give up some time in that drum cage. 
So we have to think like, like we, we don't own anything. We don't own our positions. We don't own our seat. Okay? Because there's, there's no seniority in the kingdom of God. So will we be joyous or will we be jealous? Because those hirelings, it seems like they should have just been happy that somebody got paid a whole day's worth of wage for only working an hour. That would be what you would call preferring your brother. Like, man, I'm so glad I had to work 12 hours for this. Boy, I'm, I'm glad. I, maybe I should have followed you around. Right? Like, just be happy about it. Oh, Lord. We've heard the, the parable of the prodigal son. In Matthew chapter 15, we're going to read, read through this. Matthew chapter 15, in verse 11. And we, we call this parable the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I've thought this for a while, but maybe it should be called the parable of the prodigal sons. Amen? About half this parable talks about the eldest son. So let's read through this. Matthew, or Luke chapter 15 and 11. It says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followeth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went out and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But, he went, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf 
because he hath received him safe and sound, and, be, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. So we read here the story of the prodigal sons. And it's interesting that this scripture right here, it starts out with Jesus trying to explain something. And it starts out because in Luke 15, 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So this parable, along with a couple others, was Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the scribes murmuring that Jesus ate with sinners um, and publicans. So we read this story, and the elder brother needed to repent of his attitude and return to the father's house, really, just as much as the younger brother did. And he had nothing to lose by his brother's return. But he had grown too protective of the father's house. He did his father's will, but not from his heart. And this is where we got to be careful. Okay, One prodigal left the house and wasted his inheritance. And the other prodigal stayed in the house and wasted his inheritance. In all these years, okay, this eldest brother, he had worked hard, but he was never able to really enjoy what he was doing. He was never able to enjoy a party like the younger son did. And he had a bad attitude. He said, I'm not, I'm not stepping foot in that house with that kid. Okay? He said, I'm the one who stayed here. Well, he left. He said, look at, look at me. Look at my calloused hands. I'm the one that continued to work on the farm as he left. He says, I was here the night he left. I was here. I heard my dad's cries upstairs when he left. He says, I, I, I continued to work. I was here and I, I heard about the people in town talking about our youngest brother, but I stayed here. I continued to be faithful to the farm. I was here. And I'm still here. And now this kid is coming home. And he doesn't have any money 
doesn't have any food. He, he shamed us. But I was still here, and he left. I've never had a party for me. Dad never killed the fatted calf for me. So this is this concept we've got to get in our heart that things really get upside down and sideways when we think about me. Boy, I wish, really the problem here is the eldest brother failed to have the heart of his father. Because the heart of the father was like, you don't know what it's like to think that your son's dead and to see him come home and he's still alive. I know he made bad decisions, but you don't know what it's like to realize that your son is still alive. That was the heart of the father. And that should have been the heart of the eldest son. The eldest son should have, should have known that all those years he stayed home and supposedly had relationship with the father. But he wasted his inheritance thinking of himself. And he failed to have the heart of the father. One prodigal was rebellious and the other was religious. But what the father wanted was relationship. And, you know, this, this message and what I'm talking about tonight, I could go a million different ways. And, uh, you know, this is, it kind of encompasses everything. And I think maybe even next week I might try to focus on, on some um, narrower points and talk about pride because really all this is, you know, when we begin thinking about ourselves, it really is pride. And uh, we, this selfish way of thinking, but it's just not conducive with the kingdom of God. This sort of thinking, it's, it's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work well with the kingdom of God. We don't really have time to be worried about these sort of things, to be worried about positions and titles and be worried about what somebody else was paid and what somebody else got to do. But really, we just got to focus on relationship with the Father, okay? Let's be focused on the service of the kingdom, okay? There was a, a farm that still needed to be ran. And that's really what they should have been focused on. That's what the, the, the eldest son should have been focused on. And in the kingdom, we, there is a, a, a harvest that is ready. There's work that needs to be done, right? That we look to the fields and they're ripe and ready. And this is what we should be focused on. Not necessarily in what somebody else is being paid. This should have been the focus of both of the prodigals. And they both steered away from it in different ways. Church, we've got to love. We've got to love one another. We've got to truly get it in our hearts, not just lip service, but truly get it in our hearts that we would prefer each other over ourselves. Like truly, truly, 
Like not just pretend, but that we would actually want somebody else to get the blessing over ourselves. And learn to celebrate somebody else's victory. Learn to celebrate the great victories in somebody else's life. And not focus on me and my thing, you know, my opinions and what I think. And Jesus ended this in Matthew 20. Matthew 20 and I believe verse 16. He said, So the last shall be first, and the first last. He said, For many be called, but few chosen. Many be called to work in this field. Some the third hour, some the sixth hour, some the ninth hour, some with one hour left to go in the day. But Jesus said, many are called and few be chosen. I don't know exactly what it means, what's the dif- what the difference between called and chosen is. You look up the definitions and they're, they're alike in a lot of ways. But I understand the point that Jesus is making in this parable. And I, just from this parable, what we can gather the differences is many are called. Okay? This salvation message is for anybody, whosoever will. But those that would have this attitude, this servanthood attitude, this attitude that they're willing to be last, those will be the ones that will be chosen. And really, the, the choice to be chosen is ours. So this, this attitude, this, this idea that We've just got to be humble. And I, I really do feel this way. I really, I, I, I feel that without God, I'm a very prideful person. I have ego. I take it to the altar every day. I have to. I, I, I find I can catch myself saying things, bending a story a certain way to make myself look better. That's pride. That's ego. And church, we, there's just no place for that in the kingdom. Okay, and thank God we have an altar that we can take it to every day. Amen, and thank God he's merciful. Okay, but truly, this is, this is he, Jesus spent multiple chapters on this. There's parables all throughout the gospels talking about this very concept. And it is an absolute principle in the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's all stand tonight. I know I was kind of a little bit all over the place, and I, I'm not preaching tonight, to be honest with you. I, I talked to somebody today, and he's like, yeah, you know, this is a, a, another pastor in the district whom I highly respect. He's the great thing about having a, a big church is you can just, you know, if you can't figure out something to preach about, you just you got problems to deal with, just deal with it when you're preaching. 
Like, uh, that's, that's interesting. But tonight, I don't come to you with any particular situation in mind or anybody who is extremely prideful that I'm trying to call out tonight. I'm not doing that. But this is just something that we need to constantly keep in our minds and our hearts and work on every day because this is very countercultural. Okay? It's very um, against what we deal with every day at the workplace. Amen. Let's just go to him in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I pray that we would just get this down in our hearts, oh God, that we would be willing, God, to just to be last, that we would be willing to be a servant, God, truly have a servant's heart. God, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray over every family in this place. God, I pray over this church tonight, God, that we would just understand this, God, that we would hear this, God, that we would apply this to our lives tonight. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, God, to be together, God, to hear your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We won't have an altar call tonight, but I just pray that we would just continue. I'm just excited about what God's doing. Amen. I believe that he is he's working, and uh, let's just continue in Jesus' name. Amen.